1: Everybody, welcome back to another episode of Veterans Minimum here in the win Las Vegas, the beautiful Blue Wire Studios. And my guest today. My guy, and I mean that when I say that, my guy, Joe Fan in the building. First appearance on VM. What's good, bro? It's good to be back here in the studio, man. I love it.
2: It's good to be on your show. I appreciate uh, the invite. I've been you for a long time, man. It's nice to be on the other end of the conversation. Yeah, and is this usually your seat? That's usually my seat. And then you, when, we, before you moved, would be on that monitor yeah. right there. Yeah, let's go, So man. it's good to have you in Vegas, man. Welcome to Vegas. I'm loving it. on the
1: pod. I'm loving it. I don't see myself moving from here. Unless it's a financial reason. You know, money does talk. But for the time being, dude, there's... I felt homesick one time since I got here, Joe. You know what? That's interesting. Because I
2: say the same thing to the people I talk to. And like, how's Vegas? Do you like it? And I say, I knew I would enjoy it. I mean, it's a hard place to, you know, I think really hate. Knowing what you're going to get. I mean, unless you hate the heat. Unless you hate... Whatever, like it's just not your kind of climate, whatever. But I've had so much more fun than here than I even anticipated. And yeah, when you think about where's life going to go, it's a pretty good place to be. You see the sun every day. It's pretty centrally located. People want to come visit you. You can get other places pretty easy. And I, I certainly is a is a huge improvement from Seattle where you are just totally isolated up in the Pacific Northwest, unless you're going to Portland or the Bay Area, you, you got a quite a long flight ahead of you. So I, I love it, man. I just crossed, uh, crossed my year anniversary on September 1st. Oh. Yeah, I dig it, man. So I'm glad to
1: hear you enjoy it, too. Yeah, dude. And for me, it was it was uh, a couple Fridays ago. One of my really good friends, he got married. And it was just terrible timing more than anything. It's like, I just moved here 10 days ago. Yeah. So the last thing I wanted to do was go all the way back home also. And also financially, too. Like, I spent a lot of money coming out here. Yep. So I... I just couldn't. And that was the first time I was like, "Fuck, man, I really do miss home a little yeah. bit." But besides that, it's it's been awesome. Weather's nice. My favorite thing, and I've talked about this so many times, and I used to tell it on on your show too when I was coming on. I love that prime time ends, and until last night, the sun is still up. Usually, when the game ends, eight o'clock, eight fifteen. Sports on the West Coast
2: are elite. It's where it's at. Absolutely. I'll never forget. that I, There was one year I lived in Nashville. And that year, the Mariners were sort of in the playoff hunt. And at least that's Central time and not East Coast time. But still, I mean, it's it's still two hours ahead, uh, even though East Coast is three. But games would start at 9 p.m. And I'd be up till like midnight every night. And it's just a hard routine to get out of. So, yeah, the West Coast is
1: the best coast for sure when it comes to watching sports. Dude, no question. And I, I would say that shit even before I came out here. And there was one year where... For me, baseball, I, I love the Mets, and I follow the Mets. I don't really follow the rest of it, and I think that's an issue. We've talked in the past, like, on the side, how, like, that's an issue that baseball does have, like, on a national level. But to me, baseball is dope when I'm following the Mets, and the Mets are good. And in 2015, I remember they were playing the Dodgers in the, in the playoffs. Dude, first pitch was, like, 10.48 yeah. on a Wednesday. Yeah. You're like, how can I stay up? I, at the time, I was waking up at 3 in the morning going to work with my dad, it's like, you know, it's impossible for me to stay up to watch this shit. But even games that are
2: in New York start later because they want to push it at least a little bit for a West Coast audience to get off of work. So first pitch is what, 8.30? Yeah. Sometimes? Uh, and you've seen games where they go into extras and the, and the broadcast makes a big thing of it. They show the clock and it's past midnight and still going into the wee hours of it. Um, yeah, it's, it's, certainly, it's certainly a thing. And I'm, it makes me happy to be on the West Coast
1: yeah for sure I, I being on the west coast and as a sports fan i think it's the most elite like you mentioned but dude i never i've never heard you really talk about like your come up and all this and uh like you know are you a niners fan are you a, a seahawks fan like where's where's the joe fan story originate yeah so my I'm, audience i think it'd be dope to introduce you that way
2: yeah i i'll make it i'll go through the elevator pitch pretty quick i'm from seattle so born and raised a Seattle sports fan. The Mariners were my first love. Um, then it was really, it was the Sonics. And then uh, I wasn't really a Seahawks fan until like the Hasselbeck, Sean Alexander days. So even like, like during the 90s and stuff, like I, I never really watched football on Sundays. I was all baseball, everything, and I got into hoops. Um, but I, I knew from an early age I wanted to be a sports broadcaster. The Mariners have uh, RIP, Dave Niehaus. Uh, he's in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Um, just an absolute legend. And, the, and then the Sonics had Kevin Calabro, um, who is uh, now the voice of the Blazers, but he's done a bunch of national stuff on ESPN. Um, just two legends. And so I was like, I want to do that. Like, I, uh, I, want, to, I want to be able to be a part of the game that people enjoy uh, and add to the excitement, the entertainment, all of that. Um, so I was like the little kid playing wiffle ball in the front yard, announcing my own wiffle ball games, like, while I'd play in the front yard always the Mariners against the Yankees, because those are the only two rosters I knew enough about, and the Mariners would always win. I'd like hit one too good for the Yankees, and I'd be like, (laughs) I got to do that again. I got to roll over one real quick. Uh, Yeah, then I went to school. I was a television broadcast journalism major at Chapman University down in Southern California. And then the journey from there has been sort of wild. I went back home for two years. Uh, I worked as a PA announcer at the University of Washington for three different sports, uh, and then interned for the Seahawks and Sounders. Uh, in 2014, I went to Nashville. I worked for the Titans as uh, basically a part-time. I moved there on a whim for a part-time job just oh, to shit. try to give it a shot. Worked for the Titans as their writer for their website. Did a little bit of video. They sort of teased me with hiring, hiring me full-time. Never happened. And then I ended up getting hired by the Niners. Um, so from 2015 through the, 25, six, seven, eight, through the 2018 season, uh, I was with the Niners as their reporter turned senior reporter. Um, and then I wanted to get out of the team side because I wanted to be able to flex my analytical muscles a little bit more. I didn't want to have to deal with angry phone calls from the GM or head coach or whoever of why I tweeted this, wrote that, whatever. And those are some dark seasons. So you can imagine how challenging it was after a game when they get waxed in the 2-14 season mm-hmm. to, to then write about it on a team website and not get in trouble. Or be called a shill on the other side by fans. It's hard to, <laughs> it's hard to keep everybody happy. We'll also keep a little bit of a credit of credibility. So we're back home to Seattle, which was dope. Got hired by NBC sports Northwest um, and covered the Seahawks for two years. It was awesome being on the network side, loved it. Um, but then um, regional sports networks live and breathe on TV deals. And right. all we had was the blazers. And the Blazers jumped ship to Root Sports, which carries the Kraken and the Mariners. And so NBC, there's six NBC regionals. We were by far the smallest. We were like the we were like the black sheep of the NBC Sports Network. Um, like every other one, like owns their market: Chicago, DC, um, Bay Area, certainly uh, Philly. All we had was the Blazers. So we lost the Blazers, and they just closed the doors. So our whole staff. The entire network got laid off. They Damn. shut they shut down the network. So was that was that expected
1: or did it come out of nowhere? We knew they were
2: negotiating. When I showed up to NBC Sports Northwest, I mean I knew it was a very small operation. And I just kind of was like, this is my opportunity. As long as I handle my own business, at least outwardly with the public views of me, we'll be fine. Um, so it wasn't a total shock. When I mean, we were told by our GM and stuff that negotiations are going well and we're feeling good about it. I, and then I went from renegotiating contract extension because I signed a two year deal um, to then being told that uh, that they were going out of business. So um, went I was like, I spent like four months looking for a job um, and it came down to either hosting local talk radio in Seattle. So I was offered a daily show or um, come down here, work for WinBet and Bluewire and host a show down here with Claudia Bellafato, who they also hired, who's now with Nesson uh, doing a daily betting show there back in Boston where she's from. And I made the leap of faith, drove down here, and got into the betting space. And I've been here for almost a year and a month. That's dope, man. That's a journey. It is a journey, man. It's it's fun. The way we talk about Vegas, I'm sort of sick of being on the every two years, uncertainty, what's new, am I moving again, sort of roller coaster. I'd like to have some roots in a spot. Mm. And I feel like I have that here. Even just the one year, I met a girl, I joined a golf course. I feel like I've built a network here already. And so, yeah, I love Vegas, and I, I do hope, if not forever, at least the, the near and semi-distant future, I will be here because it's been a blast, absolutely.
1: Yeah, you're always on these courses, just getting it in on, uh, on golf. Know,
2: yeah, I mean, that's the, if you're a golfer, there's not many places better to be than Vegas. You see the sun every day. And let me tell you, golfing in 110 is way better than trying to golf in Seattle in the wet and cold in the winter.
1: I mean, dude, you got to tell me about winters in New York. Them, yeah. them shits are brutal, too. It's uh-huh. like you'll see 12 degrees for like six straight weeks. And you're like, get me out of here. This in Seattle, wet. you might go a month without seeing the sun. Dude, I went to school in Buffalo for two years. And it was the same thing. Yeah, like, in, in a 30-day span, you'll see the sun three days out of 30. It's I almost just... worked in Buffalo. Really? That, when,
2: before I moved to Seattle to work for NBC Sports… Uh, I was a finalist for... ESPN uh, has their NFL Nation program where they have a beat writer in every yep. every city. Well, the the Bills job was open. So I got flown to Bristol. I interviewed there. I did a screen test on the NFL Live set. And I left. I was like, I crushed this. I feel like I'm going to get this job. And they didn't hire me because I was a team guy. I didn't think I could work for a network because I'd come in from the team side media. That was what I was told. Um, but I thought I was... I left. I was like, I guess I'm, I'm probably moving to Buffalo. Like, I think I'm going to get this job, which is wild. But like, that's what you do for, you know, the career, you know, the ladder you're trying to climb. So,
1: dude, it's pretty you, nutty, man. You being in Buffalo, you ain't golfing over there. No, for sure.
2: no. But <laughs> do you have a similar story? I mean, you just moved out here on a whim to a degree. So I know we can relate on sort of the the industry that we're in, yeah. how volatile it can be, but how much we love it and how much fun it is. Um
1: it's pretty crazy. It's a place to be, man. It's a place to be. And especially being partnered with Blue R and having my show on there and doing some of the stuff that I'm doing here. And can't lie, man. You you played a big role in that too. Getting familiar with everyone in here, coming on your show. I definitely always showed you love and I appreciate you for doing that. And uh it's been cool. It's been fun. But speaking of Buffalo, I think it's uh that has to be the game we gotta open up with. Cause I think there's a lot of talking points leaving that game that kind of carries weight the rest of the way. Dolphins now 3-0, and the only AFC team 3-0. and We got the Eagles also undefeated, the only two teams. And pending my New York football giants tonight, hopefully they could also be 3-0. and It would be the first time, Joe, since 2009 that that happens. And be honest with you, man, I'm not going to know how to act if, if they get the 3-0. and It's going to start getting crazy. But with Buffalo, how do you feel about how that game played out? Because there is a lot to break down and a lot that we could take from it. I don't
2: think there's anything that happened from Buffalo's side where I would say, did Miami figure something out? Miami in September is notoriously a tough place to play. That heat, sort of like Buffalo in January. You know, it's just not a place people want to be. And that heat is different for those who aren't from it. You get that humidity that hits you just in the face. Um, if you look at the numbers, they had 30, 31 first downs to Miami's 15. They went 11 of 18 on third down. They had 497 total yards to Miami's 212. They ran 90 offensive plays to Miami's 39, and they lost by two points. So it, this, to me, it sort of feels like Denver losing to Seattle in week one. Now, those are two very different teams, but just sort of one team dominated the entire game.
1: And, and then, then they, get they the lost.
2: win. So, yeah, I don't think I'm sweating this at all if I'm Buffalo. For me, it's... I saw a funny tweet it was you know dolphins fans are already to the point where they ha- they'd had a body for Mike uh for Mike McDaniel. And it's uh, so, just you know what they're starved for for a winning football team and and it's a really fun group and and Mike McDaniel certainly looks uh like he is is worthy of the role. I'm curious what you thought of Tua leaving and coming back whether you
1: actually believe it's a back issue? No way that's a back <laughs> issue. Like yeah we we got to be honest, right? Cuz there was an incident one time, and it was uh, it was Case Keenum. Case Keenum, he fell down also. Like, And it was one of those things where you're watching it with your boys, and you're all, like, hammered watching these games, and you're like, dude, I'm clearly not a doctor, but I don't need no one to tell me that this dude is concussed. And the way Tua got up, and yeah, he gets up, and he's all right, but then the stumble, it's like, oh, this dude is out. Like, he is not coming back. And as someone who was big on... The the Dolphins, plus five and a half. I took a stab on them on the money line. Because, like, if you look at the history of Josh Allen and the Bills, they lose a lot of close games. Like, those one-score games, last year, they lose to the Steelers. Tennessee. Tennessee. The Jaguars game. The Chiefs in the playoffs. Like, any time it's a close game, it doesn't go in their favor. Or they just obliterate teams. So, I was thinking, look, they played on Monday everybody's high on Buffalo. They're the Super Bowl favorite, and rightfully so. I don't really think that changes much for me. Because like you say, you're reading off the stats. Like if you just do the blind eye test, like say you were out where you're plus one and you didn't watch football, but you're reading the box. You're like, before you see the score, you're saying to yourself, oh, Buffalo beat the shit out of them. Yeah. And then you look and you realize it's the cluster injuries too on the defense. Yeah. They're missing all those DBs. They're missing a couple of pass rushers. And then the heat… You saw in the fourth quarter, guys are cramping up. Guys are leaving to, to get a breather. And then Tua's just exploiting that. Or the, or the defensive players are taking advantage of it. So, to me, leaving that game, I feel just as good as I felt about Buffalo coming into that. And I think I do, I do take Miami more serious, though. Because in the end of the day, you also got to take care of business, too. The defense, you have to take seriously. Mm-hmm. I think in Buffalo, yeah, the
2: injuries are worrisome. You, you hope Davis White is soon, is back sooner rather than later, but not having Micah Hyde for the rest of the season is not ideal. Him and Jordan Poyer the best safety duo in the entire
1: league. And so, the continuity between them two, yeah, man, for all these that's years. That's a concern.
2: Yeah. But I don't think anything happened in that game specifically that makes you say anything about Buffalo that would worry you long-term, especially with what happened around the rest of the conference that we'll get to. But certainly Miami rose to the occasion they belong on that stage and the defense i mean you hold but i don't care what the yards and what those numbers say you hold buffalo to 19 points you get a tip of the cap from me
1: and 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 certainly that group deserves it yeah and it th- it does feel like buffalo through their first three games have left a lot of points on the board yeah like there's been so many plays where Even though they were one of four teams in NFL history, Joe, I remember reading that they've covered their point spread in the first two weeks by 20 or more points, like comfortably. And then that team in week three, now it's pushed to 0 and 4 against the spread in in week three when those scenarios are. But you're looking at Buffalo and like, despite how dominant they were, they still could have been even more dominant. Josh Allen had a phenomenal game also. I think some of the the kicking issues, which is something that's going to be a common theme throughout this entire episode, not just for the Bills, but across the league, like kicking issues. And then to me, them, the biggest concern for Buffalo, I think, would be the injuries in places that they heavily relied on. Like you said, like with Hyde. Like they just knew that no matter what, we got we got two grizzled vets back there. That could just make sure no dumb shit happens. No one's blowing coverages, none of that. So until they do get Tredavious White back, I think that's going to be a way that you could exploit the Bills. Yeah, I agree. What uh, about Miami, though, man? I do feel like we're kind of... Are we shitting on Miami for this? I don't think so.
2: I don't think you have to shit on Miami to say that Buffalo's fine and still probably the favorite in the AFC. But yeah, I mean, Mike McDaniel is a true bona fide wizard. Mm. Like, dude, Yale grad could probably be a rocket scientist if he wanted to, but the guy just loves football. And you hear it from so many different players. I've talked to um, back when I was the Niners. I I know Mike McDaniel a bit um, because he was there. He came with Shanahan from Atlanta, and I was there the first two years of that regime. He is so respected by every player in that locker room because his football acumen and his ability to View things in a way that that they haven't been viewed before. I mean, he is he is he was the maestro of that running game in San Francisco. He was the visionary, and so they miss him dearly. That's not to say Kyle Shanahan isn't also in that echelon of coaches because I think he is. But just ask anybody who's played for him. Uh, last week it was Andrew Hawkins who was on the Rich Dude, Eisen.
1: Yes, I was about to bring that up. And I mean, it, it's just it's true, and
2: so. That, you know, and Then you wonder, okay, how do you go from being that dude who you're the run game coordinator and your job is to sit in a room, draw it all up, and be able to teach that to the team, the offense, and then be a CEO of a team that manages egos, that manages drama, that gets the respect of his players, that can handle in-game decisions, uh, play calling, manages staff. All of that is such a huge step up when you take that role. And it just feels like he is just taking it absolutely in stride. And, again, three weeks in, there's no doubt that, that he is a rising star in this league in mm. terms of coaching ranks.
1: Yeah, the video that we're, we're talking about is Hawkins was on the Rich, Rich Eisen yeah. show, and he was saying how when wide receivers, when he would have meetings with the wide receivers, the wide receiver room, he wouldn't show them football releases. He would show them, Allen Iverson crossovers and using that as ways to faint off the line of scrimmage and to avoid DBs. So talking about visionary, that's that's dope. Using a completely different sport, completely different ball as an example for you to free yourself and to get open. I think that was really cool. One thing I will say, Joe, and I know you like to dabble, degenerate as well. And I mean that with the utmost respect, degenerate as I am one myself. When they play in December, I don't care what the line is. Taking Buffalo. Bills are going to beat them by 20. They're going to annihilate them. It's going to be a revenge game because, you know, everyone in Miami is super happy right now. Josh Allen has owned them since he got into the league. And it's just, it was a scenario, man. You got all these guys are out. Pending who's going to be hurt and whatnot. But I'm telling you now, just... Prepare for the text and the tweet. Oh, yo, Joe, we got to jump on this.
2: I like it, too. I mean, everything had to go their way. You think about the 45-yard catch. Jalen Waddle was, like, what, third and 23? They run the ball between Edmonds and Mostert for 32 combined yards. Two of 13 of 18 for a buck, 86, and one touchdown. Yeah, I agree with your evaluation. I yeah. still, I don't, Miami, to me, is a team that will be a pain in the ass every single week, but isn't one that necessarily I watched that game and think, oh, yeah, this is now the team to
1: beat. No, they're just going to be a team that's going to be able to get big plays on you. They're going to be tough to defend. They got all that speed, right? Like, it's weird. You know, you know what it seems like Miami's doing, Joe? And I would love to hear your, your thoughts on this. It seems like they're beating teams with speed later on in the games with fatigue. right? In the past, it would be you want to get that bulldozing running back, ground and pound, and, oh, you're tired. You don't want to tackle them. Now it's like, well, you're tired. You can't keep up with all our speed. Mostert, Hill, Waddle, Gasicki is a guy that can move at tight end too. So it seems like they're beating you with speed as opposed to that tough and, and, and rugged style of football. Can you imagine
2: getting into a four-quarter track meet with Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill in the Miami Heat in September? <laughs> it's a
1: wrap. Yeah.
2: That is, not, that is not a good place to be. I mean, you saw it at its, in all of its glory in week two against the Ravens. And that was on the road. So, yeah, they are going to be a problem. They'll be a factor. I don't think they're going away. But um, to me, I don't have, like, a, a really big takeaway other than, okay, they're going to compete with everybody.
1: Yeah. Yeah, man. The thing, the thing though, that was super interesting, and it, and it kind of applies to, like, this next game, too. I do want to – well, I'll be jumping around a little bit, but the theme of cluster injuries, and it was a term that I didn't hear about until a couple of years ago, and it's very popular in the sports betting world, where they talk about if one position group All of a sudden loses three, four starters for a said week. Cluster injuries, that's terrible for the team because you're better off losing your top receiver, top running back, top lineman, as opposed to losing all four of your wide receivers. Mm -hmm. Because then you got guys on the practice squad. You got your number three guys, your number one guy, your six guys, your number two. So the cluster injuries, you saw that with the DBs in Buffalo. And then the other unit that you saw that was heading into this week with cluster injuries was the Tampa Bay offense with the wide receivers. And the biggest thing for me was in that last drive, which this dude Brady's still just cool, calm, and collected, just goes down the field like it's nothing. And then the two-point conversion that they get the penalty on, you saw how much of a clusterfuck it was for them because Cole Beasley's in there. Russell Gage has been in and out the lineup. You got all these guys. And again, it was no Evans, no Julio. No Godwin. And that's what you're dealt with. And that's ultimately what I think cost them the game because they couldn't move the ball on, on Green Bay.
2: They're only getting 4.8 yards per play. We talk about how elite the defense is for Tampa. They're allowing four and a half yards a play, which is tremendous mm-hmm. for a defense. Their offense has, has been as bad as the defense has been good. They rank 22nd in points, 26th in total yards. And there's just, a very obvious void of any sort of consistent rhythm. Talk about cluster injuries. Tampa Bay's also had it on the offensive line.
1: Oh, dude, the and worst. that was that the story was of training
2: camp. Before they even got in. And then and week one, you lose all of your receivers. Yeah. So certainly that's going to be an issue. Not having Mike Evans due to the suspension was big time. Especially, again, going, you need two-point two conversion. Mike Evans is your dude. He'll find a way. He's one of those type of guys. Or at least know. be a
1: decoy, too. Worse, certainly worse. You got to pay attention. So to Yeah, them.
2: I think there are genuine concerns in Tampa that that not to say that they won't be remedied. But three weeks in this offense looking as pedestrian as it has, I think, is is certainly worth keeping track of.
1: Yeah, man, it's so weird because even even before we got to training camp, they lost one guy to retirement. Another guy in free agency. And then before they even step on the field for week one, they're losing line. It seemed like every week Adam Schefter is like, ah, oh, this left guard out. The right guard that's coming in for the guy that retired out. And you're like, holy shit. And now you're looking at the wide receivers also. Their defense is really good. I think the young DBs from that Super Bowl team now are like really good ball players, like Winfield Jr. and Dean. Those guys are sick in the secondary. And we always knew about their front up front. Like, Vita Vea, again, just this dude is a human Freaky highlight athlete. reel. Drops back into coverage. Hits sticks. Aaron Jones at the goal line. Forces the fumble. Yeah, I yeah. end up losing four points in my fantasy league because I have Aaron Jones, and of course that shit happens. I'm like, yeah, why Why wouldn't it? Everything else is going great. 0-3 in fantasy. The one league, I play in one league. It's one league I care about. And, and my boy Dom shouts to Dom, but fuck Dom, yo. He's sending me all these pictures because I've I've won our fantasy league in eight years. I've won it four times. Okay. And we're running it now and I'm like, second to least points for just getting, just getting throttled, dude. And yesterday I had a chance to get on the winning streak and of course, Vita Vea. Shouts to Vita Vea. Yeah, the Packers
2: it. didn't <laughs> score a single point in that second half. I mean, we talk about teams that you might have concerns about. Um, neither Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady have played like a, like a top 10 quarterback so far through these first couple of weeks. The the Packers also have a ton of receiving injuries. Mm. I mean, Christian Watson out in this game. Uh, he's got a hamstring injury. Others were limited during the week of practice. Alan Lazard, I don't know if he's practiced all season. Uh, he did show up and, and caught a touchdown in this one. But, um, you know, they're relying on Romeo Dobbs. You know, he had a nice game. eight catches on eight targets, 73 yards and a touchdown. Um, but I think it's it's notable what's happening here in the NFC as you look at some of these uh, teams we're accustomed to seeing in the divisional round and, and, and NFC championship games and how they've looked through three weeks and then compare it to say the Eagles and how the Eagles have looked through three weeks um, or even a team like the Detroit lions, mm. you know, why can't the Detroit lions compete with the Packers and bucks? Yeah. At least we get to see it with, with uh, the, I don't know if they play the bucks maybe, but the Packers at least they get to play them twice, but, it just only reaffirms to me that the NFC is wide open beyond just who you would think of the Rams, Bucks and, and Packers.
1: Well dude, I wanted to ask you, this is one of the questions I wanted to ask you. There's there's four teams right now in the NFC that are 2 and 1. The Rams, the Packers, the Bucks and the Vikings. And and like the Bears are 2 and 1, but congrats. Like that's you, you played in a monsoon against Trey Lance and that was a nightmare and then yesterday you beat the Texans. I still think the Bears are not anyone that we should you know congratulations that you're two and one but you're not going to be important come december dude outside of philly who do you trust in the nfc and and all these teams right rams packers bucks vikings they all have serious flaws
2: yeah i would say i trust the bucks and the packers from the standpoint of i know they're going to play defense
1: so, I like where you went because I was going to say because of the quarterbacks, but you took it the other way, which I
2: agree those with Those teams are going to be able to play defense. And you always have, if you're the Packers, Lambeau Field's a tough place to play. Hard place to get to, tough place to play. That's a factor. Hmm. Compared to, say, you look at the Vikings at 2-1. and one. They come back and win late against the Lions, but they look terrible for three and a half quarters. The Lions are still probably a year away. They're going to be a pain in the butt each and every week. Sort of in that same conversation, I was talking about with, with the Dolphins, but they're still going to have games where they they choke at the end.
1: Yeah, it's inexperience. A lot, a lot of the, it's a young team, but they're great against the against the number. They have one of the best records since Dan Campbell got there against the spread, covering Campbell. Yeah, fighting kneecaps
2: and covering spreads.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I would say the Eagles, the Bucks,
2: and and even and the Packers are probably the only three teams I would say. I think they're going to be able to play good football week to week. I mean, the Rams, I think are largely a mess. They yeah, didn't I look mean, great against Arizona. They almost oh, no. blew it in week two against the Falcons. Yeah. And they got smoked in week
1: one, uh, playing the bills at home. Yeah. It's, it's concerning, man. They can't run the ball. So they, if they jump out to the lead, they still got to rely on Stafford and you know, the Stafford Stafford's for, he went on that crazy run in the playoffs that won him the Super Bowl, But, I think he he hit three straight games last year where he threw a pick six and like five of six games. He had two or more turnovers. So he's still very erratic and he'll still give you one like Matt Ryan gives you one. Derek Carr gives you one. Daniel Jones, my boy, he gives you about three, four. It just <laughs> yeah. depends on whether or not you're going to capitalize. But
3: get a Baker's N- dozen yeah. from Daniel
1: Jones in the NFC, it's. It's Philly, a team that us two were super high on coming into the year. I know any time I was on your show, we were talking about the Eagles. You and I were just like, yeah, dude, what you said or or what I said. We were just agreeing like almost verbatim. They're they're outscoring teams 24-7 to in the first halves. And then the games look a lot closer than they are. Like Minnesota had every chance on Monday night to come back in that game. Detroit made that crazy comeback, but... Philly is really beating the piss out of people, man. And they're, they're a problem to game plan against. Because now, to me, the biggest addition in the offseason was A.J. Brown to any team. And I remember saying that because you need to have a real alpha stallion wide receiver on the outside. And then everybody else could fall into place. And that's what you have with him. And they just look impossible to cover the way Jalen Hurts is playing.
2: And you look at what Devonta Smith has done to the last two weeks, seven catches on seven targets for 80 yards uh, against the Vikings on Monday Night Football. And then week three, yesterday on the road, eight catches for a buck 69 and a touchdown outpacing uh, A.J. Brown. It's a difference maker. You know, just like what you mentioned, even if Mike Evans is on the field for that two-point conversion, it changes things because everybody knows all 11 dudes know exactly where Mike Evans is. Mm -hmm. A.J. Brown is absolutely that type of dude. His, his big thing is he hasn't been able to stay healthy. Well, right now, he's healthy, and this Eagles team one that last year was the most efficient rushing team in all of football. They've been a good running team so far through this season. They didn't run the ball well yesterday. And everyone's like, well, it's going to be the running game, and then Jalen Hurts will have to kind of just not lose it for them. He's not a game manager at this point. He is a guy who is winning you games. You oh, are yeah. winning because of Jalen Hurts, and that was him yesterday. 22 of 35, 340 and three touchdowns, the 123 and a half rating. He was lights out and has been through three weeks. And he didn't beat them on the ground. So what happens when Miles Sanders and Boston Scott and, and Kenneth Gainwell start churning out yards? What happens when Jalen Hurts is putting 65, 70 rushing yards on you and maybe a score or two? They can beat you in so many different ways offensively, and we are seeing it each and every week, at least through the first three. Uh, game so far this season. I love the Eagles going in. You love the Eagles going in. And so far, of all it takes, we get wrong. That's one is that's, that's, that's aging well so far.
1: Yeah, man. And you look at their schedule, bro, four of the next six at home and their road games are at Arizona and at Houston. I remember looking at this. When will they be the underdog again? And will they be the underdog again? So I love that you bring that up because... I bet them to have the best record in football at 25 to 1 and prior to week 3 they were 10 to 1 in a couple of books. They still a great number for you to get. The look ahead lines, there it's a pick-em against Green Bay. They're playing them at home, week 12. Yep. And then when they go to Dallas and that line flipped because word came back that Dak Prescott would be available to play in that. So it'd be like your standard I think the look ahead was 3. That's so- it. This team, this team, if everyone stays healthy, I fit the floor for them, and I said it coming into the year, was thirteen wins. Darius Slay has to stay healthy,
2: right? Hassan Reddick had not gotten off to a first a hot start the first two games of the season. Had one and a half sacks yesterday against Washington. What's the numbers here? One, two, three, four, five, six, nine. Seven, nine sacks. Yeah, against Carson Wentz. Well, there was a stat where like they had three hundred and thirty passing yards, and Washington had minus one net passing yards or something at some point in the second half.
1: You think some of those guys on Philly were like, finally we could hit this dude <laughs> all these years of just having him turn the ball over. God, the way
2: the way rosters turn over though, outside of Fletcher Cox, yeah, he really even right. was yeah, even no really feeling that way. I mean it's amazing that how often you see these rosters turn over. But yeah, Philly to me has been has been the most impressive team in all of football through three weeks.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to argue that. Like they've been more impressive than what Miami has been. Like Miami, Miami, I don't want to say a fluke 3-0, but that's never happened before what they did in the fourth quarter against the Ravens. That's like a one in a five-year season, like sample size. And then you but look the, at the numbers and the box score of Buffalo. Yeah, Buffalo dominated them. So
2: let m- me ask you this question. So I for WinBet every week, I put together power rankings. Who's number one? Right now, I think it has to be Philly. I had them four last week. I think they have to be one this week. Yeah. Everyone in front of them
1: lost. The Chiefs,
2: Bills, and Bucks.
1: And I I think Buffalo should be, too. I would put Buffalo, too. Yeah, I agree. How high are you slotting up the Jaguars, dude? Man, they're fun. They're fun. You know what's annoying is like they should be three and zero. They should be
2: Washington week one. They
1: should have. Yeah. I'm
2: the kind of guy who like is bitter about teams who like cost me games when it comes to bets. Yeah. And it was the Jags in week one, the Bengals in week two, and like so I I remember that. But yeah, now at two and one, certainly top fifteen. I mean, who I have in front of them? Commanders ahead of Browns. They probably both move up together. You got a bunch of teams like the Raiders, the Cardinals. That are the Saints that are moving way down. Top, top half, absolutely. Probably probably top 14. Dude, don't be afraid. I think they're a top 10. I think they're sick. You think they're top 10?
1: Yeah, man. L- let's, look, all right, l- let's look at this, right? Last week, they shut out the Colts, a team that they've dominated the last couple of years, especially in Jacksonville. So you could say, all right, yo, they just have their number. It's one of those weird teams where they just, they, the Colts just can't get over the hump. And then you do what you did to the Chargers yesterday. And I know my boy, Justin Herbert, our future's tickets. (laughs) Yeah, can can you tell that story quick? The Thursday Night Football? We were watching Thursday Night Football together. Oh, gosh, man. Because this is the worst, like, 60 seconds uh, of takes that, not even takes, just like the, the, the events that transpired.
2: So we are, Nick and I are feeling ourselves, much like we were on the Eagles, we were both real high on the Chargers. And through halftime, of the, the week two Thursday Night football game between the Chiefs in Arrowhead and Chargers, Chargers easily win the first half, dominate that game. It's tied in the second half. They're knocking on the doorstep to taking uh, for a game-winning score, or game or go-ahead score, sorry, whether, whether it's a touchdown or a field goal." And Nick, Nick <laughs> looks at me and goes, "Man, those Super Bowl tickets we got on the Chargers are looking pretty good right now. And the second he said it, it was the next play. I kid you not. No embellishment. The next play. Not even play, bro. The
1: moment. Hadn't been out of his mouth for more than 10 seconds. We were looking at each other, and I said that, and we fist bump. And Justin and Herbert throws a 99-yard pick six. And he six. throws a pick six. Then he gets hurt. And then, hold on, hold on. You're missing a part. You're like, dude, you fucking jinxed it. You just
2: grabbed me. <laughs> it's a cursed franchise already, and we just drove them further into the ground. Uh and then now, Rashawn Slater out for the season. Oh. A week-to-week, not day-to-day, is Joey Bosa with a groin injury. Justin Herbert might not be right all year. Cursed franchise, dude. And I will bet on them every year. Because I know the second I don't, they're finally going to get over the hump. <laughs> Here's a topical conversation with the Chargers. It's amazing how quickly the, the shine has worn off the star of Brandon
1: Staley. Oh. Yeah, he in, was boy wonder, dude. Yep. Yeah, he. I think he got to go after this year. That's it. You give him two years, and he's done. I think. I think I would be the worst GM in professional sports because he would have been out already. First of all, they're up. They're down twenty-eight. They're at home, and in the last drive, he's still and out Justin there. At Harvard, still
2: in the game.
1: And yo, I don't know if you ever saw this because I used to have the wildest like man-crushed and obsession with Andrew Luck. Like, that was my guy. I was like, this dude's going to win a Super Bowl. This guy is the truth. There was a famous video. To your credit, he was. He was. He was. There was this video I'll never forget. And Brandon Staley needs to be shown this video. They were playing the Rams in Indianapolis, and they're getting throttled. It's like 38-0 or 38-3. And Andrew Luck goes over to Chuck Pagano and he's like, let me go out there and... and uh Let me play this out in front of the home crowd. Let them know that, you know, I don't want to be here with my tail tucked between my legs. And Pagano just goes, dude, if I put you out there, I'm getting chills talking about this. He goes, if I put you out there and you get hurt, we're done. We're done. Like, it's, it's, there's no reason for you to go out there. That's what this dude should be telling Justin Herbert. The moment they're down 14 and Trevor Lawrence is doing whatever he wants to that defense, which out of nowhere now can't stop anyone also. And you see Herbert is wincing and he just can't – he can't do anything. They, they showed the intro package of Chase Daniel being the starter at the beginning of the game. The line movement on that was wild and like 90 minutes went from seven and a half to three and a half. And then a lot of books were upset. They're like, "Oh shit, we thought he wasn't going to play at all. But it's like, yo, what are you doing, dude? What are you doing having him out there? The same could be said for the end of the Kansas City
2: game. Yeah, it's a touchdown onside kick and the field, but the dude – Gave up an, an obvious first down because he didn't want to run and potentially get hit and where he just turfed it and then just took the incomplete, made it fourth down. when he I mean, it was his first down this last drive when they got the backdoor cover, which both of us were grateful for. He shouldn't have been out there then either.
1: So, yeah, I, I get it. Brandon Staley, um, I'm gonna his, push, his chair is getting hotter. I'm going to push back on that one at least because the game in Kansas City was still a winnable game. At least there it's it's logical for you to defend that play and that decision to keep him in there. It's like, look, it's a division game. We can still we can still win this game. As opposed Fine. to being down 28. Oh, it's not
2: it's not the same. But to me, I think that one is more interesting now once then you see him playing up 28. Because at that point you're saying. Brandon Staley is not overly concerned with the health, the health of his quarterback.
1: Yeah. That's a fair assessment, man. It's so weird. He, yeah, he's, it's just, he was the defensive coordinator for, for the Rams. And now like the defense with, with the charges has gotten worse. Like Asante Samuel Jr. is like the only shining spot on that team. And JC Jackson hurt. He was another guy coming into the year already hurt. And he's going to be battling ankle issues. And you don't want to have ankle issues as a DB. That's, that's your worst nightmare over there with all the pivots and the quick motions. I don't know, man. It's just like, and they play the, they play the Texans this week too. do the chargers and they lost, they missed the playoffs last year. because of the Texans. They were a 12 point favorite on the road and they lost outright. So it's just not looking good with the chargers. And I, I'm very concerned that someone that, that is financially invested in them. And it's a team that I also enjoy watching. Like when they're on, they're a fun team, very which is so. why it's, it's so frustrating and so upsetting, which leads me to the last thing I want to talk to you about. And it's, it's these decisions that coaches make that blow my mind, whether it's leaving the quarterback in there when he shouldn't or the field goal stuff, field goal issues. Like, you're Kansas City. Your starting kicker is hurt. And you got this guy that you just signed off, like, practice, or off the couch. You don't even know where – I don't know where they signed him from. But he, you know, he's been in the league, but... I think he was at the Jets last year, is what I want to say. Might have been. Yeah, Amendola, yeah, he might have been. But, like, what's with this fuckery of, of fake field goals with, with your, your second-string kicker? Like, why not run a play with Mahomes, dude? You have a half-a-billion-dollar quarterback. You have an elite quarterback. It's not Daniel Jones you're trying to run these plays. Going back to the Monday Night Football game with Seattle... If, if that game is in Denver and you want to try a 59-yard field goal with McManus, dope. I'm all for it to try to win the game. But it's fourth and five. You have Russell Wilson. You have Pat Mahomes. Like, just think about it, dude. If you're rooting for a team, you have the Bengals, and it's fourth and five. Would you rather them a fake punt and your punter throws it or, or have Joe Burrow back there, Justin Herbert back there, Pat Mahomes, and going for it? Like, it's crazy to me that these decisions are made by professional coaches. And not only that, but one of the most highly
2: regarded coaches in all of football, and Andy Reid, and right. Eric enemy, who a lot of people think should be a head coach in this league. I think when you are so good at what you do, it's, it's getting too cute is a thing. You can outsmart yourself by overthinking it and saying, I'm so smart, they're not going to see this coming. But it's also something that, 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 that when that stuff works, it looks brilliant. And you know going mm. in, if it doesn't, you're going to look like an idiot. So there's also something to that. And I don't think coaches should be risk-averse strictly for that reason because if it doesn't work, it's going to look bad. But, but, yeah, I would agree with you that in this situation with who your quarterback is, what your offense looks like, how much greater could the odds possibly be that you catching them off guard and having your punter throw a pass – and completing it is, you know, let's say this what sixty percent odds, I don't know fifty five percent of Pat Mahomes. Like, is it really worth the five percent given all that can go wrong?
1: Yeah, it's
2: you know, they, not. I don't,
1: the worst I, case scenario is so much worse. Yeah, it it just doesn't make sense to me, man. I'll never understand it. That's why I'm a big I'm a big fan of like what the Giants did in Week One when they went for two on the two point conversion there to try to win the game and to steal one. Like, I much rather, especially with moving the field goals, the the PATs back further, and more guys are missing PATs than ever before because it's moved back. If I have an elite quarterback, dude, I want him to go for it on fourth down, fourth and three, fourth and five, especially if it's on your side of the field. And if you have a chance to steal one, dude, Aaron Rodgers gets all this shit for losing playoff games. And four different times, he's lost playoff games where he's tied it or sent it to overtime, and then he just doesn't touch the ball again. Because they decided to, with all that momentum, they kicked the PAT instead of like, yo, we have them back against the ropes in Arizona. Remember Jeff Janice caught those like two Hail Marys? You're like, holy shit. And you go there and what happens? You have all this momentum, you kick the PAT and then Larry Fitzgerald breaks like a 60-yard catch and they, Carson Palmer goes in there, scores and Rogers never touches the ball. Me, It's I
2: mean, Yeah, Josh Allen last year. Josh was, Allen, yeah, was another one too. Yeah, you remember... Uh- yeah, that's why Brandon Steele, going back to Brandon Steele, that's why he became such a darling of the league is because he would go for go for a fourth down on his own side of the field regularly uh, and went full in on the analytics. Uh, another coaching decision that, I mean, and Nathaniel Hackett is a an easy target over these first three weeks. Yeah. He's been terrible. We'll talk about, you know, a fan base who already wants their coach fired. Denver, I think uh, his approval rating is borderline zero in Denver they're among Broncos also. fans. <laughs> the quarterback <certainly>, is. <laughs> But how do you, in a game, you're trying to close out? You're up 11 to 10. And the Niners have all three of their timeouts. They take their first uh, timeout after second down out of the two-minute warning. So they've got two timeouts left. It's third and nine. And you just paid a quarterback $165 million guaranteed, $200 million plus in the overall contract in this extension. You traded two first-round picks to get him. And you run the football. Time isn't an issue at that point. The Niners only need a field goal. Ask Russ to win you a football game. That's what he is there for. That, I thought, was baffling to me on on Sunday Night Football with the Niners and Broncos. And it worked out. They got the win because Jimmy Garoppolo had just a heinous game uh, across the board. And he threw, uh, or no, it was Jeff Wilson who fumbled at the very end. Yeah. Yeah. But,
1: but even before I just don't that, know too. How,
2: I just don't know how you don't throw on third and nine and ask Russ to get you one first down to win the game.
1: Yeah. It's like these teams, they, they become super conservative with their play calling. And then you just, allow, you just allow the other team a chance to steal it from you. Like Denver for as bad— I feel like Denver's been shitted on since week one. But they're two and one also. And you look at the rest of that division— it's the like, defense was incredible last night. Yeah, the defense is... Oh, dude, S- Sertan is... That guy's. Him, Sauce Gardner on the Jets, too. Like, he locked up Jamar Chase. If, if I good was young an corners, NFL man. GM,
2: I would only take legacy players. Oh, like... The, yeah. Sertan, Sante Samuel Jr.
1: There's a bunch of them around the league. Dude, my one... I have a buddy back home. He's like, if I always have a chance to take... uh Take a kid whose family was in professional sports, like Mahomes, Donovan Mitchell, like these guys, Steph Curry. It's like, yo, it's the lineage. they're the, they're growing up already in the sport, kind of, and yeah, it's a high success rate, man. Yep. I do want I want to end the show with this, so because we kind of were touching on the Chiefs a little bit, but referees yesterday were a little shaky for me. That call on Chris Jones cost the Chiefs that game. It's been worse, Joe. Those are way worse. Where dudes like break up a pass and they're over there like grabbing their balls and shit and be like, "Oh, fuck you, dude," and whatnot. And like, what did Chris Jones say to Matt Ryan that led to the unsportsmanlike? Did it ever come out? Like, did he talk to reporters post game? I did not see anything on it. But a third and fifteen, they get the stop. It's fourth and fifteen, and they throw the personal the personal foul there, unsportsmanlike, and then it's a the first down. They go down and they score. It's like Kansas City, again, like, why are you kicking these fake field goals? You're attempting fake field goals with your backup kicker, and you have Mahomes, and he's missing chip shot field goals. Also, Kelsey dropped a touchdown. He went on Twitter, and he apologized. But it's like, dude, that Chris Jones play was wild. I was watching that because I I didn't touch that game. I took the over. By the way, 28 points in the first half. I'm like, oh, this is going to be a lock. Nope. (laughs) I'm watching a replay of it now. But you get what I'm saying, dude? Aren't there worse? There's worse incidents that don't get called.
2: Oh, it's in a grown man's league. I mean. Like, what are we doing? What are we doing? But Dude, I I feel like last year, every Monday, I would sit at this desk and go through all the mind-boggling officiating issues, or I did it with MLB umpires all spring. And you're just, it's hard enough to just do the job and then make the calls that need to be called to be able to see it when it's all happening so fast in front of you, why do you decide that that's a point where you need to interject yourself? It's not like it, it caught a, I mean, I just can't imagine he said anything that was so egregious that it was like, Chris, we have to do this. Yeah. this was, Matt Ryan didn't seem super bothered. He didn't at all. And then what? The week before, Buck Saints and Tom Brady's cussing out Marshawn Lattimore. Yeah. So ridiculous. Yeah, the, the Chiefs made a number of mistakes. I don't think I would say very specifically that that was the one call that cost them the
1: game. But, yeah, they got jobbed for sure. Yeah, because they they win that game without that call. Because yeah. then the Colts go down and they scored a touchdown with 24 seconds left, and it was a wrap there at that point. But. Yep. Yeah, man, I don't know. The officials were rather suspect, but no one, no one plays a perfect game. So that's what you get when you have these officials. Sometimes, what what can you do? Last thing, we'll end on this: Is yeah. there a team that, if their fan base is a little worried, like think of teams that are one and two, zero and three? I think only the Raiders are zero and three. But can can they turn it around? We've seen the Colts do this recently, where at least they. Going into week 17, 18, they still had a chance at the playoffs. Like, what team are you the highest on that still hasn't gotten a win or has just one win?
2: Certainly the Bengals would be on that list. I mean, it's a team that just won the AFC. Why wouldn't they be when you compare them to other one and two teams in the AFC? Jets, New England, Pittsburgh, uh, Tennessee, Houston. Uh, Indy still worries me. Matt Ryan's just not playing yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they thought he would be a big upgrade from Carson Wentz, and he hasn't been at all. Nah. Um, so the Bengals would be there. I would love to tell you the Chargers, but with all the injuries they've got, I don't. I don't want to jump off the bandwagon, but I also don't want to tell Chargers fans that everything's gonna be okay because it, <laughs> it might not. It might not. It yep. very well could not be the case. Um, Dallas plays defense well, and I mean they might be two and one after after Monday night, anyways. Don't we'll you leave dare. Them, we'll leave them off of it put that out there. Uh, they play enough defense, though, to, to at least remain competitive. I think Lions fans should be pumped with where their team is at, at one and two. They've covered three spreads. You knew going in, you're probably a year away. So mm. if you can sort of hang around the top 12 in the draft and get another premium player, you're looking at expecting to be a wild card team at worst next year.
1: Um, Dude, I even think this year, man, I really do, because I, I think that I think the NFC is so bad. Like even the good teams we're talking about are so flawed; they could be had.
2: Then I would say the Niners would probably be the last one and two team where I'd say they'll figure it out. You knew that those Jimmy games are going to happen, but the defense speaks for itself. Losing Trent Williams hurts,
1: yeah. Bad, and but, then Kittle became a non-factor because they were keeping him in to block. Because it just seemed like. Chubb and yeah, Gregory were just doing whatever to. they wanted. Yeah, had to. Yeah,
2: but I, I still think the Niners will be okay. Um,
1: yeah, I think you picked. I yeah. think you picked the two teams that I would have picked. Also, like I've already, I've already bet the Bengals minus three. That line moved to minus three and a half. They're playing Miami on Thursday Night Football. They're at home. Miami feels, you know, like their shit don't stink. Bengals don't want to say back against the ropes because they did get that win. But I think this is a spot. Did you right hear Tyreek Hill say that he owns Eli Apple? Dude, I can't he, wait for that because I thought a little I, WWE I promo after that game. <laughs> I can't stand Eli Apple. Boy, the, whole league. The, whole the whole league, league can't yeah. stand Eli Apple. Yeah. And listen, man, you asked for this. This is what you wanted if you're Eli Apple. When yeah. you're yapping, guys are gonna make note of that. That's yeah. why people were super hyped when Cooper Cup was just doing whatever he wanted to him in the Super Bowl. And now with Tyreek Hill, that's gonna that's gonna be a fun showcase. But Let's wind this down. Joe, you're the man. I appreciate you. Uh, thank you for showing me a little bit of Vegas and putting me on. Where can people find you?
2: Yeah, you can find my written work at uh, winbet.com, on Twitter, at Joe underscore fan. And, uh, yeah, pretty easy got to find.
1: At Nick Day is 10 is where you can find me, veteransminimum.com, as you can find everything for the show. Check out the Patreon, patreon.com slash veteransminimum. And we will catch you guys
0: next time.